Beloved congregation of the Lord, I wish that you would imagine with me this scenario. Imagine that in those days in which cities were guarded by walls and people were assigned to be a watchman, to guard those walls, to scan the horizon for approaching enemies. Imagine you were assigned that role of guarding your city from any danger and alerting anyone of an approaching foe. And then as you scan that horizon, all you see is a figure approaching in the distance, coming nearer and nearer. As you look at this figure, you see that He is a fearsome warrior that as you see him coming closer and closer, you see that he is dressed in such amazing clothing and armor as befits a great warrior. And so as you look, you begin to see that this armor and and clothing, it is red. What kind of person is this? What kind of warrior? You maybe ask, uh, who are you in this red clothing, in these garments, like him that is treading the wine fat? That's essentially what Isaiah asks in verse 2, playing the role of a watchman. He's asking this warrior, is it the case that you have been squeezing together uh, grapes for wine and you've stained your clothing with these uh, red fruit juices? And the answer comes there in verse 3, I have trodden the wine press alone and of the people there was none with me for I tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment, or all my clothing. The picture comes into view. The warrior here, he is red in his clothing because he is covered with the blood of enemies, indeed the blood of the nations. He goes on to explain in verse 4, For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. These two things may not seem like they go together. Judgment and vengeance on the one hand, and redemption, salvation on the other. But for Isaiah and for Those who received this prophecy, they were very important things that they go together. You see, in those days, the church of God, the people who served the living God, they were being oppressed by fearful enemies on every side. They were in captivity in Babylon. And the news that God is just, that he will punish those who have committed terrible injustice against the innocent and brought with with it the word of salvation, that God would vindicate his own and that he would save his own. goes on to 
explain here that there is no one else who shares with God in this work of divine judgment, that he does it alone, for he is the judge of all the earth. The reality is that we also live in days of judgment. You have but to look around at the global instability and the wars and the rumors of wars. At any moment, the fragile civilization that we inhabit, it could all come undone and terrible bloodshed could be loosed upon the earth. The reality is that this is a fearful thing to consider that God is just and we live in a world where people despise him and his commandments. Justice and judgment is coming. Indeed, there is a day of perfect justice coming where Jesus Christ, as the true judge of all people, he will set all things right. He will punish all enemies of God, and he will redeem his people. But also, in the meantime, before that final judgment day, there are many manifestations of God's judgment. And as I say, I expect we live in days where this will become more and more evident. How is it that we are to cope with such things, that God is going to judge those who break his laws, both the individuals as well as the nations that despise him and his word. Well, for Isaiah, what he really drew the people to was the message of grace and mercy that God shows towards his people. We began to consider that in the morning we looked at verses 7 and 8, but especially 9, setting forth God's mercy and love towards those who own him as their God in faith and repentance. The message of his great salvation to sinners. Here is what we must do in days of judgment. We must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We must understand whether we ourselves are God's enemies or God's friends. If we know his grace and mercy in our own souls or if we are yet strangers to the true God. With that, I'd like to look at particularly verse 10. We looked at verse 9 In the morning, but it's verse 10 that I would ask you to consider now. Verse 10, but they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. I'd like to consider with you in this afternoon worship service for a few moments with the Lord's blessing, this theme, vexing the Holy Spirit, vexing the Holy Spirit. And we will consider uh, in the first place who commits this sin, how this sin is committed and the terrible consequence. Who commits this sin, 
how the sin is committed and the terrible consequence. Well, those who know the true being and nature of God know that God is a trinity. You won't find that word in the Bible itself, but it is the only way to make sense of the full counsel of God. The one true God who made the universe, the one true God with whom we must worship and adore, this God is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This was revealed in a perfect, in a full way, upon the incarnation of Jesus Christ and his coming into the world. When the Son of God became man and dwelt among us, we came to see that God is a loving Father who has sent his perfect Son into the world to save sinners, and that we can know the Son by his Holy Spirit. But this was not unknown before Jesus came into the world. You look at verse 9, and it speaks of the Lord who is afflicted with the affliction of his people, the loving Heavenly Father. You see the angel or messenger of the Lord in verse 9, which we showed is the very Son of God, eternally Um, existing with his Father and eternally revealing and redeeming his people even before he became man. And now in the third place, you have a mention of the Holy Spirit, that third person of the blessed Godhead, the Spirit of the Lord. He is fully God, this Holy Spirit, in addition to being a distinct person. And this Holy Spirit, he is a person who can be vexed. He can be grieved. For the great work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the will of God and to apply the blessings of grace and salvation unto the souls of his people. He is fashioning a church composed of all true believers to be a holy temple unto the Lord, indwelt by the living Spirit of God, in order that our hearts and minds and souls would be changed and transformed, that we would be renewed to be restored into the true image of God in Jesus Christ. And I say this Holy Spirit is grieved and vexed when sinners resist his work, when sinners will not have the Holy Spirit to indwell them, when they would resist his revelations of grace, while they will not surrender all their minds and thoughts to his leading. And this is spoken of as vexing or grieving the Holy Spirit. And who is it? Who is it that commits this sin? Well, in the first place, you can see that this was a sin which Isaiah was very interested in. Isaiah was especially delivering this message. He wrote years before the people of God 
were led into captivity in Babylon when that nation would destroy the worship of God, destroy the temple, and lead them away into a foreign land of idolatry. He was writing for that remnant. Years before they would be led into captivity, he preserved these words for them to read, for them to understand what was happening to them. He reminded them of how God had shown such favor unto them. He had brought them out of slavery in Egypt, through the wilderness, into the promised land. He had a special relationship, God did, with his people. According to the covenant and agreement that he made with them, that he would be their God and they would be his people. He said he would make them a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And they said, all that God has spoken, we will do. They were separated in order to worship and obey God, but they had failed. How was it that they had been led into captivity? Why was it that they had experienced such awful things of their very king being led away as a slave into the king of Babylon's palace? Oh, some of their best men had been castrated and led to be the servants of the king. How it was that the very worship of God had been trampled underfoot and they had been led into a strange and confusing place. It was because they had grieved the Holy Spirit. Not that God had been unfaithful to them. They had been unfaithful to God. Verse 10, but they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. This is some of the important themes of this whole book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a book that can sometimes be difficult to read because it's not all in chronological order and it spans a lengthy ministry lasting decades and some of it concerns the distant future um, concerning things that were revealed to him by the spirit of prophecy. But this theme of the rebellion of the people, of their disobeying God and Vexing his Holy Spirit, it is most prominent. In the first chapter of Isaiah, you see how it begins. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the donkey his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. It's interesting, he speaks of an ox and of a donkey. Even these stupid animals, they recognize their owner. They know who feeds them. But Israel, the people of God, they do not know their God when he calls and speaks unto them. 
It seems in particular, it was the revelation of the law through Moses that they were charged with despising. You notice that the verse that follows speaks of Moses as the one who was used by God to lead that people out of their slavery in Egypt. And it especially speaks of him there as the one who is given the spirit. Notice the last line in verse 11. Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him? It was the Spirit of God who allowed Moses to perform those mighty miracles that characterized his ministry. It was the Spirit of God that was used to reveal the commandments of God through Moses. And now it was this very spirit that they were despising. You see, it's through the revelation of God and through his commandments that the spirit of God is most clearly at work. When you open the Bible and you read it, when you hear the Bible read or explained to you, you need to understand what is happening. The spirit of God is taking what he has revealed and inspired, and he is applying it to your conscience. He is striving with you. He is showing you today, you have sinned against God. You have wandered in your own way. You have forsaken the Holy One of Israel. You were created to know God, to glorify God, and yet you have fallen short of the glory of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And reminded, aren't we, of what it was that that man uh, by the name of Stephen spoke to his own hearers in the book of Acts. Where he said in verse, chapter 7 of the book of Acts, verse 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. This could have been said also to us. You see, we are no different by nature than Israel of old. We as well resist the Holy Spirit. In this way, grieve him. We hear him explain to us our sins so clearly, and yet we find some excuse that allow us to wiggle out from under that strict condemnation. But even worse, I should say, is where we resist not only the revelation of the law through Moses, but the revelation of Jesus Christ. Indeed, the message of Jesus Christ was also revealed through Isaiah and the prophets and through Moses himself. But we ourselves today have a much greater accountability for the fullness of the gospel is revealed through the completed work of Jesus Christ and the full testimony of the word of God. And so we are held, you see, to an even stricter standard. If you would think about what Jesus himself said concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit in our day. This is how he put it in John chapter 16, verse 7. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away? For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Yes, there is a revelation of the Holy Spirit also today, not only of the law of Moses, but also of the gospel God has said unto you that he has sent forth his son, that he has punished his son for the sins of the world, that it is only that righteousness which is attained by faith in his son that will avail before a holy God that all those who believe not upon the son of God, they are condemned. There is a message of coming judgment, of judgment, Upon, yes, the prince of this world, the devil, but also all those who serve the devil, all those who are sons and daughters of the devil. There is coming that terrible day of judgment when Jesus Christ, he who has ascended to the right hand of the Father, will come to judge the living and the dead. Each one of us having to give an account. This is revealed very clearly by the Spirit of God in the Word of God. It's revealed unto you. What will you do with this revelation of the Holy Scripture? There are only two options. Either you will receive it, you will submit unto it, or you will resist it. And know this, if you resist this message, it is not merely me that you are resisting. It's not merely a book that you are resisting. You are resisting the very Spirit of God. A terrible sin, that, for anyone to resist the Holy Spirit and the revelation that he brings in the Scriptures. So we see who commits this. I want to look at this a little bit more carefully now. How is it that this sin is committed? What is it that it consists of? Well, I would put to you that it particularly, particularly um, concerns how it is that we receive the word of Jesus Christ. I think this is most evident when we see the full expression of what it is to vex the Holy Spirit, what Jesus called the sin of the Holy Spirit. He spoke about this in the gospel according to Matthew. And uh, this is what he said about it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. For whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world 
neither in the world to come. You may remember the circumstances that led Jesus to say those things. You see, what happened was Jesus had cast out a demon. There was a man who was so controlled by an evil spirit that this demon was actually controlling him, possessing him, afflicting him while Jesus spoke, and that demon had to flee for his all authority even over the spiritual realm. And what is it that they said? Well, he casts out demons by the power of the prince of demons. And Jesus rebuked them with these words to ascribe the power of Jesus not to the spirit of God, but rather to the spirit of the evil one. That was to cut to the very heart of what God is doing for the salvation of men. It is to close you off from any possibility of salvation. This is a sin for which there is no forgiveness. Where Jesus would speak unto you and say he would have you as his own, that he would present himself as your savior, And for you to stubbornly and persistently and to repeatedly say, I will not have this Christ. That is the sin of the Holy Spirit in exquisite measure. And so you see, that is a sin which no true Christian can commit. That is a sin that bars you from what it is to be a true Christian. It bars you from any possibility of salvation. But is it? not the case that Christians also can grieve the Holy Spirit? Isn't it the case that even if you are a believer today, you must watch out against the possibility of committing such a sin as this, lest God bring his chastening hand upon you? Well, indeed, it seems that the Apostle Paul refers especially to this sin of vexing the Holy Spirit, of which Isaiah speaks in his own epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 4 and verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You can be sealed unto the day of redemption. You can be one who will surely have that full joy and pleasure in the world to come of all of the redeemed saints when every tear is wiped away, when the full enjoyment of God and his blessedness is enjoyed without any corruption of sin, and we have the pure knowledge of God beholden through the face of Jesus Christ. Indeed, you may be saved and you may be secure for that day of redemption, and yet you may in the here and now Grieve the Holy Spirit. What is it that he has in mind? How is it that you, Christian, may grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, it appears what Paul especially has in view, that you can grieve the Holy Spirit if you are living in known sin. Living in known sin. Yes, there is a difference between Christians and non-Christians. The non-Christian is completely given over to the power of sin. He cannot but sin. He is enslaved to his sin, and yet Christians also sin. 
through the weakness of their faith, through the power of temptations, and through their not availing themselves of the means of grace to resist that temptation, they fall into sin. And what is it that Paul especially has in mind? Well, you look at that same context where he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Look at the verse right after verse 30 in Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and Anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You see, The reality is, if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, if you have surrendered yourself unto Jesus Christ because of that powerful work of the Spirit of God within you so that you are belonging unto God, the reality is that that Spirit will war against your sinful flesh, your remaining sinful nature. What is it that your sinful nature wishes to do? It wishes to harbor bitterness and anger. It wishes to lash out in anger and evil speaking against others. It desires to live for self and to look down on others, to get revenge. It desires, in a word, to live according to that principle of the flesh, that principle of sin. And what is it the Holy Spirit longs for? Well, look at his very name. He is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He is a spirit that is holy, is a person that is holy. He has no darkness in him whatsoever. He is pure light. He wars against the darkness. He wars against all Sin that yet remains in us, he will not be content unless you fully surrender yourself unto him and unto the will of your heavenly Father. A spirit would have you to be a forgiving person, not caring for every slight and insult against you. He would have you rather to have a spirit that delights to forgive and let go of the assaults against your dignity, remembering that anything short of hell is much better than you or I deserve. The Spirit of God would have you occupied with the things of eternity, the eternal destiny of the child of God with his loving heavenly father in heavenly glory with his son. He would have you occupied with the knowledge of the living God. Whereas the flesh within, he would draw you unto the things of darkness and perversion, selfishness, greed, lust, the things that bring death and decay, destruction, and grief. The Spirit is a Spirit of life, and Christ has come to give us life, and life abundant through the life-giving Holy Spirit. You have been purchased with a price, the price of of the dear blood of the Son of God, and he would not have you, Christian, 
living the ways of the world. No, he would have you fashioned in his own likeness, transformed into the image of himself. And where we cooperate with this work of the Spirit as he indwells us, where we surrender unto him, this is where we bring delight unto the Holy Spirit's heart, where we resist it, where we give in to temptation and known sin, this is where we bring grief unto the heart of the Spirit. And let me tell you this, Christian, you can never... Never sin away your salvation. You can never utterly be removed from the grace of God, but you can bring such misery unto yourself and others. You think about David, that man after God's own heart, a king who was righteous, and he sees a woman on a rooftop. He sees, he sends for his servant. He takes that woman Soon he's on this path, he conspires to murder her husband, to have her all to himself, covering up what the evil deed he has done. And it's left to this. His inner heart is grieved and vexed and sorrowful as you read his accounts of this. In the Psalms, the hand of God was heavy upon him. He was tortured in his conscience. He knew he was resisting the Holy Spirit until that day. Nathan came to him and said, Thou art the man. And so he repented in dust and ashes. And in this way, the prophet could say that his sin was put away because He was one who knew the grace of God. But those who are strangers unto faith in Jesus Christ, those who are strangers to repentance for our sin, they know nothing of this. What grief do we bring to ourselves by resisting and grieving the Holy Spirit? Would not we'd be so much happier. Would we not have lives filled with blessedness if we would stop being half-hearted Christians and double-minded Christians and we were single-mindedly devoted unto the Lord? Do you imagine that if you prayed that today, if you prayed, Lord, help me not to be double-minded, help me not to live according to the flesh, help me to live as a consistent Christian, to surrender my life unto you, to strive for holiness. Do you imagine that today he would despise that prayer? That he would say, I certainly do not honor such a prayer. I will cast that prayer away and not answer it. No, certainly not. None who truly lay all their lives on the table and say, here I am, Lord. Here is all my wretched sin. Here is all that I have done. I lay it all before the feet of Jesus Christ. All those can have the sure assurance that their sins are forgiven as well as the sure assurance that the Holy Spirit will give them renewed obedience unto the commands of God. So as far we've considered who commits this sin, how this sin is committed, I'd like to look for a few moments yet just on the disastrous result that is spoken here. Verse 10, 
of Isaiah 63, but they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit before he was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. It's a terrible thing to contemplate, God fighting against his church. Why is it that it appears that so much of Christianity is powerless today, unable to show for itself conversions from the world, unable to show for itself a real and true difference from what you see in the world. Why is it that there is spiritual laziness? Why is it that there is not that vital godliness in years past? Let me tell you what it is. Churches that would resist the Holy Spirit cannot enjoy the power of the Holy Spirit. Dare we say that if there is not great success and revival in our own day, that it owes to the fact that God has forgotten to be gracious? No. Let us lay it rather to our own account and say we We as the church of Christ, we have failed in our mission. We as the church of Christ have grieved the spirit of God time after time with our own worldliness and love for the things of the world. But if we would repent and turn unto him as the God of all grace, shall he not revive us? That's what was held forth by Isaiah unto those people of old. They had sinned away every prospect of success. They were a small, shattered remnant in a hostile land. All the powers of darkness arrayed against them. It seeming as though the mission that Israel had been given was utterly lost. For they had been brought so very low. And yet is it not held forth here that it owes rather to their lack of reliance upon the Lord? I'm thought of what uh, is spoken there in um, particularly the book of uh, Leviticus. If ye will not, uh, sorry, Leviticus 26, verse 23. If ye will not be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then I will also walk contrary unto you and will punish you seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you and shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when you're gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Reality is, congregation, and the people had nothing to uh, to owe their various uh, judgments they received from the Lord's hands, but their own rebellion against the Lord's covenant. Shall we also say that it's anything different with us today? If we look around at the world and we see the dark clouds all around. We see the approaching judgment upon the nations and we expect that the years in which we live will be filled with much disturbance, bloodshed, tyranny, and persecution. Let us take this as an opportunity to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God as his church. 
not to just point to others, but to point to ourselves and to cast our cares upon the Lord, seeking his grace and remembering that his covenant faithfulness abides sure and forever. Remembering what Isaiah did at that very time, back in verse 7 of this chapter, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. The Lord is not forgotten to be merciful congregation. He will hear us if we pray unto him today. Rather than vexing his Holy Spirit, let us surrender unto him. It is a delightful thing to fall into the arms of a loving Heavenly Father and to be controlled 